Hey church family, welcome back to another Leroy UMC podcast. I hope you had a great Halloween. I know we did here in the Hobson house. So this week's sermon focused on the apocalypse. Though it has long been used to scare and terrify people, as an apocalypse, the book of Revelation is ultimately a story of hope. Its primary goal isn't to give us a secret code or map to a cataclysmic end of time, but it was meant to remind the persecuted Christians who first heard it that no matter how dark or terrifying the world gets, in the end, God has the final word. Good triumphs over evil. Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. Well, friends, tomorrow uh, is Halloween. Uh, it's always a fun day for, uh, for kids and also for parents. It's a day where we eat way too much candy and watch way too many scary movies. Uh, and so having a, having a little bit of fun uh, with the holiday and the season, we are taking a look at what has historically, for some people, been maybe the scariest, or at the very least, the strangest book in the Bible, we are taking a look at the book of Revelation. Uh, We are taking a look in our readings at uh, the very beginning of Revelation, chapter 1, and then skipping to the very end, uh, Revelation chapter 21. We'll talk about why in the sermon, but our readings, Revelation 1, 1 through 3, and then 21, 1 through 5. Friends, listen now. For the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And skipping to chapter 21. Then I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord of truth and grace, if this message speaks your truth and points to your grace, then let it be heard and let it be remembered. But Lord, if this message does not speak your truth, then let it be forgotten in an instant. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
There is no book of the Bible more bizarre and unusual, more misinterpreted and misunderstood, and no book more associated with fear and terror than the book of Revelation. It is a story about seven-headed dragons, about a doomsday book with seven seals, about four horsemen who bring famine and wars and plagues, about tyrants called the Antichrist, about a cataclysmic battle at a place called Armageddon, and all kinds of astounding and ominous things. It's a book so unusual that even the wisest theologians in church history have not always known how to interpret or how to handle it. And maybe it's because of that combination of such fantastic images with such deep, long-standing mystery that for the past 800 years has made Revelation a source of such incredible terror. It started sometime in the Middle Ages. Around the year 1200, people began using Revelation to scare and frighten. Christians. Some of the earliest Gothic cathedrals that you'll find in Europe were actually built with gigantic entranceways depicting scenes of judgment, of war and suffering that were all taken from Revelation and all constructed in order to frighten worshipers into obeying and believing whatever it is that they might hear. In every century since then, the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and still in the 21st century, hundreds of people calling themselves teachers have claimed to have unlocked some secret code or unraveled the exact date of doomsday and convinced millions of people to follow them, pay them, obey them, do all sorts of things out of the fear that the end is now. Sadly, even cult leaders have twisted and warped this book in order to manipulate hundreds into doing whatever they commanded, all out of the terror of thinking that if they didn't, the nightmarish things in the book might happen to them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about interpretation. Whether you read Revelation as a literal prophecy of things yet to come or as a symbolic metaphor of things that have been, that isn't the problem. Faithful Christians have read this book in both ways in the past. But however you read it, I'm talking about those preachers, book publishers, and self-styled prophets who have used the book of Revelation as a tool to fuel nightmares, to stir up fears, and to bring about unimaginable religious terror. There is no more bizarre or unusual, more misinterpreted or sometimes misused, and no more book associated with fear than the book of Revelation. And as a result, the book has gotten a bit of a bad reputation over time. My guess is today when most people think about Revelation, they think about the apocalypse, about the end time, terrifying monsters, natural disasters, and the world coming to a horrific end. That 
is probably what most people today think of when they hear Revelation or hear Apocalypse. However, that isn't what the earliest Christians thought of when they read the book of Revelation. And that isn't entirely what the Apocalypse means. As strange as some of its stories and images may be, at the very beginning, Revelation actually opens in the most incredible way. The book opens by actually telling us exactly what kind of a book it is and precisely who wrote it. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. That is fantastic. Not only are we given the author's name, there are only a handful of books in the New Testament or in the Bible where the author identifies themselves. Not only are we given the author's name, it's John, but John tells us exactly what kind of a book he has written. This is a revelation. That's where the book gets its title. It's called the Book of Revelation because that's what it calls itself in the very first sentence. However, where things get really complicated and where you might need to give me a little bit of rope or a little slack is that a revelation isn't a dream, it's an apocalypse. And an apocalypse isn't an event, it was also a genre. Apocalypse, apocalypsis is actually a Greek word meaning revelation. You've all been speaking Greek without even knowing it long before I came here. Every time you've said the word apocalypse, uh, that is a Greek word, and it's the word that gets used in verse 1 for revelation. It's literally, this book is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ given to John. But in the first century world, apocalypse wasn't just some terrible future event. An apocalypse was a literary genre. It was also a style of writing, like biography or history or mystery novels today. And it was actually an incredibly popular genre among early Jewish and early Christian communities. We actually have dozens of apocalyptic books, the, the Apocalypse of Peter, um, First Enoch, Fourth Ezra, the Shepherd of Hermas, and a lot more. Basically, an apocalypse was a book written from a first-person perspective, something someone experienced, about some incredible vision that the author had seen, which the author says must soon take place, and which involved a great clash of good and evil on a cosmic scale, involving monsters and battles and martyrs before God finally intervenes by bringing this present evil age to an end and ushering in a new age of peace. And the purpose of these different apocalypses, the motive behind a lot of these different stories about the world ending, and the same reason why John sat down and wrote his revelation wasn't to scare, but to inspire. 
the book of Revelation was written at a time of incredible suffering and difficulty for the early church. It was either written during the persecution of Emperor Nero or the persecution of Emperor Domitian. This book was written at a time when Christians found themselves suddenly living in a world ruled over by a terrible beast called Rome, under anti-Christian rulers called emperors, and when the world, for so many of them, as they knew it, was coming to an end. People were losing homes, jobs, loved ones, and their lives in some cases. This book was written at a time when the world was filled with terrible monsters and with all kinds of reasons to be afraid. And at that time of suffering, John tells his audience, tells his readers that he is their brother who shares with them in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance. John knows the kind of fear that his readers have to live with day in and day out. Fear of death, fear of loss, fear of pain, of sickness, fear of all sorts of things. And John doesn't write his apocalypse to give them more fear. No, there was already more than enough reasons to be afraid, enough devils, pains, and evils in their world. No, John doesn't write his revelation, his apocalypse, to make his hurting audience of believers more afraid. He writes to give them hope. That was the message that John had to give the persecuted and frightened Christian churches he sent his revelation to. And that is the message we sometimes miss when we get caught up on the wrong details. To a hurting, broken, frightened community, the apocalypse was a message of incredible joy and unbelievable hope. Revelation is hope to the suffering that the world around them may be difficult and may be painful at the moment, but when John looks up, he doesn't see doomsday. He sees a new heaven and a new earth, for the former broken world is passing away. Revelation is hope for the broken, that there may be sickness, injustice, and loss today, but when John imagines tomorrow, he imagines a time when God would dwell among his people, would wipe every tear from their eyes, and when all the mourning, crying, suffering, and death they felt now would be no more. And Revelation is hope to the frightened, that even though John and his audience had plenty of reasons to be afraid now, afraid of monsters, of emperors, of plagues, of wars, of evil, when John listened to God's word, he heard a voice declare in joy and certainty, See, I can make all things new. That is what Revelation is ultimately about. It isn't about the dragons, horsemen, devils, or present evils that we sometimes focus on. Revelation is about how the story ends. 
for all of its strange and unusual images, in the end, when you get down to it, Revelation is a story about how, in the end, good triumphs over evil. No matter how great or terrifying the evils of today may sometimes seem. Revelation is a story about how light wins out over darkness, no matter how dark our lives may sometimes get. And Revelation is a story about how it is God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who has the last word in our story, no matter how frightening today's chapter may be. That's the miracle of this mysterious final book that ends our Bible. The book of Revelation, the apocalypse, is not a story meant to scare you. But in a great twist of expectations, the apocalypse is one of the greatest stories of good news that you could hope to hear because it is a story that reminds us that regardless of how dark our story may get sometimes, it is still God's hand that writes it. It's true, Revelation does describe all kinds of difficult trials and frightening things, wars and plagues and monsters, but only because Revelation reflects the broken world that we live in now. Whether it's a Roman emperor or a cruel boss, we all have oppressive monsters in our lives. Whether it's persecution or sickness, we all face dragons that try to hurt us. And whether it's Armageddon or a sudden death, we all face losses that make it feel as if our world is crashing down. But the hope, the hope and the good news this book has to give is the hope of knowing that those monsters do not have the final say. The last book, the last chapter, and the last word belongs to God. And God's word is a word that all things can be made new, including our lives, and including those things that scare us. There is no book of the Bible more bizarre and unusual, more misinterpreted and sometimes misused, and no book more associated with fear than the book of Revelation. From Gothic cathedrals to false prophets to fire and brimstone preachers, it is a book that has been used to frighten to terrify and scare people for centuries. When the simple truth is, this is one of the greatest stories of hope that our Bible has to offer. Whether you read it as a literal prophecy or a symbolic metaphor, either way, Revelation is a story that should remind us that no matter what monsters we face in our lives, no matter what worst-case scenarios we fear, and no matter what unimaginable nightmares we dread, fear is not the last or greatest word over our lives. The light never stops breaking through the dark. 
grace is always greater than our sins and mistakes. And with God on the throne, something new can always be made from the things that frighten us. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Lord of all truth and all things, we thank you for the apocalypse. We thank you for the promise that no matter what comes or how difficult things may be, you will never leave or forsake us, and your word will always be the last word. God, as we continue to wrestle with whatever monsters and fears we may face in our lives, may you come and tell us once again your message of hope and your message of grace, that our fears may be replaced by new peace and our brokenness replaced by new life. Lord, sit on the throne and tell us once more that you are the beginning and the end and that in you there is nothing to fear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. Go in peace.